Hello from Clio Cloud Conference 2018 in New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm Lawrence Coletti. I'm Joe Patrice. I'm George Saharis. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. And we're back. Thank you so much for joining us on the road. It's a pleasure to be here in the 504. Today, we're here talking about the legal trends report that George uh, Harris here, our guest, uh, covered. But before we get to that, we'd like to thank our longtime sponsor and friends, Clio, whose conference is being featured in this series of episodes. If you like what you're hearing, why not check out their conference for real, along with 1,500 other legal professionals at next year's 2019 Clio Cloud Conference. For more information, visit cliocloudconference.com. That's C-L-I-O. C-L-I-O, cloudconference.com. All right, now we're getting to it. So I have a co-host, Joe Patrice from Above the Law. Welcome. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great over good, here. I'm good, doing good, good. Excellent. And we have a wonderful guest, George Saharis, who's joining us today. He presents at one of my favorite events at Clio, the Legal Trends Report. So much information comes out of there. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, so just for the benefit of our audience that might be less familiar, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Obviously, you work at Clio, but what do you do for Clio? Sure. Uh, so I'm Clio's chief operating officer. I do a variety of things and work with a variety of teams, but my big focus is on building a data-driven culture at our company. And one of my favorite things to work on every year is preparing our legal trends report. This is a publication that we have run for three years in a row uh, and is inspired by this desire to help lawyers be more data-driven in the way that they make decisions and the way they think about running their practices. One thing that comes up in all of these reports uh, to date, but that's worth spending some time talking about is you have access to some great data, and it shows what I think a lot of us intellectually know is, has to be true, but it actually breaks down. Lawyers, lose, especially small and solo lawyers, lose a lot of time. They aren't using their time effectively on legal work, uh, and the number is uh, larger than people might think. How much time are lawyers on average losing every day? Yeah, it's a, always a surprising uh, insight for most to wrap their heads around. So what we do is we estimate what we call a utilization rate, which is what portion of your billable workday are you putting toward actual billable activities? When you survey most folks, they peg themselves at being at around 60%. When we look at our data and use an estimate of an eight-hour workday, which is pretty typical, we land at a utilization rate of 30%. What that means is some folks are losing as many as six hours a day to non-billable activities. And we think that could be for one of two reasons, right? One is that they're spending a lot of time on other things, non-billable activities that come with essentially running their own small business, or they don't have enough clients, right? And in some cases, maybe a combination of both. But it's definitely one of the more eye-opening insights that's been consistent year over year as we prepared and published a report. And so that comes into some of the key performance indicators that you were uh, revealing. So you had like three basic ones. So there was the utilization rate, the realization rate, and the collection rate. And this gets back into the billable activities. And so can we walk through those three just to kind of explain a little further to the audience? Yeah, absolutely. So there are some different definitions of those metrics that float around, um, especially on the realization rate side, but we've chosen to define them as follows. So utilization rate, I explained. It's kind of what percentage of your total available workday is being put toward actual billable activities. The second step is realization rate. So once you do billable work, how much of that value ends up on an invoice that a client sees. We all know that critical step where you take a look at the total, you think it over, and then what gets sent to the client might be a little bit lower than what you actually tracked for a variety of reasons. Uh, the third step is collection rate. So I find too many practitioners think of what's in their accounts receivable as what's 
kind of money that they've earned. And the reality is there's an extra step that happens, which is, of course, collecting from your clients. That stuff can be a double whammy because the time you spend running down collecting from your clients also eats into your utilization rate. So uh, respectively, we found these totals to be 30% utilization rate, 81% realization rate, and 85% collection rate across the industry and across all practice areas. You mentioned practice areas. That's another thing that, that I found interesting in the report. You kind of break through, you know, certain practices bill more, but are they really making more? And as it turns out, some practice areas that bill less might be making more because yeah. they just are practice areas that uniquely, for what, whatever reason, collect better. Yeah, it's yeah. totally true. And we see those differences in geography as well at the state level, but in particular in practice areas. So I had some fun in this year's Legal Trends Report presentation comparing bankruptcy law and government law, focusing only on hourly work. So excluding anything that's flat fee or an alternative fee arrangement, which is pretty common in bankruptcy especially. So bankruptcy law sets a price for hourly work that's over double, so over $330 an hour versus what we found in government, which was around $160 an hour. And by the time you're through this collection, realization and collection funnel, they're essentially the same. So you start with double the rate and end up basically charging the same amount per hour just based on the fact that a lot more attrition happens in the realization and collection stage. So in government law, you've got a lower price with the expectation that it's going to be easy to get paid and you don't need to mark it down much before the client sees it. In bankruptcy, very different ballgame, right? Like you've got much lower realization and collection rates, so people price higher to kind of land in the same spot, which is fascinating. So uh, for my consulting days, you know, I looked at a lot of industry reports, you know, as I would make recommendations to some of my clients. And so one of the things I think is so unique about the Legal Trends Report is it's coming from actual data. It's not a prediction. It's not a forecast. It's coming from real data. And so I think this is one of the things when you guys first announced this, that was somewhat controversial uh, where this data was coming from. And so we've since kind of worked through that. But George, I think for some people that haven't heard of the Legal Trends Report, since it's coming from real law firms, can you tell us where that information comes from? Yeah, that's a, a great question and a really important one. So we, we provide a cloud-based practice management system at Clio. And we've got tens of thousands of law firms that use it every day to basically track their work, track their time, and do billing. And so we collect aggregate reporting for a couple of reasons. One is because we do believe philosophically in publishing the Legal Trends Report. And a second is for us to understand our customers and how we need to make our product and service better. The way we do that is by collecting and extracting the data in a very meticulous and careful way. So when we do this, we aggregate and anonymize the data. An example I often use is when you're entering a stadium and you see somebody with a, one of those clickers kind of counting how many people has entered the stadium. They can tell you how many people pass through a certain entry point, but they can't tell you personally identifiable information about those people. Like if I walk by and somebody clicks that tracker, it's not telling them what my social security number is or my driver's license number is, my date of birth. It's a similar process to what we do. We extract things like in Ohio, we have this many billions of dollars in billings divided by this many hours, so here's our hourly rate but it's not traceable to any individual. We also avoid publishing really specific data sets so that they can't be de-anonymized. An example would be if there's some really small town out there with one Clio user and we publish an hourly, average hourly rate for that town, typically you might be able to de-anonymize that. So we avoid any kind of granularity that would jeopardize that. And we also don't extract any PII as part of that process. We also offer our customers the opportunity to opt out in their settings menu of something called aggregate reporting. But of course, my year-over-year -year appeal for everyone is to not do that because these are exactly the insights we need to evolve and change with the times. So you 
get some good data about the lawyers, but you also learn some things about clients as part of this report. You have a whole section talking about the client expectations, and uh, it turns out they might be different than lawyers' expectations. <laughs> yeah, that was a, a, a fun and maybe even a little bit cruel part of the report this year, <laughs> but some of those facts that I think we, we really need to review. So we get the, the source data that tells us what's going on almost economically in the space. What are the rates people are charging? What are their efficiencies? But then we get to the points like, okay, what am I gonna do now, right? Like what are the insights I can take to evolve and perform better against those benchmarks that we've published? So what we've chosen to do is to accompany our, our data report with two surveys, one of law firms and one of consumers that is a division of people who have worked with an attorney and people who have not. And we got a lot of interesting insights in there. And they kind of subdivided this year into what people are thinking about when they're looking to hire a firm and when they're considering using legal support or not. And also uh, what drives client satisfaction once they have retained an, a lawyer. And yeah, there's just an array of really interesting insights. And along the way, we kind of measured lawyers' expectations or what they thought their clients expected and compared them to what clients reported. And <laughs> as you might imagine, there's some, there's some differences in there. So we, uh, we caught up with your boss at uh, the uh, State Bar of Michigan's next conference last week, and he was making a presentation talking about the Legal Trends Report, and he dropped a Peter Drucker quote. It said, what gets measured gets managed. And so one of the things, I, I think this is really valuable for people that are not just running their law firm, but managing their business and get into the specifics. So you guys have, there's a lot of data points that you can set your billable rates for. There's a lot of data points that allow you to manage your the business side. I want to just kind of go through a list of very specific ones so that lawyers get the ideas like this information's available, go to this report and find it and then utilize it in your own practice. Yeah, that's a, a great point. Like for me, the, the insights are effectively meaningless if we don't put them to work, right? And the philosophy behind Peter Drucker's comment is when you start measuring something, suddenly you're aware of it, then you can start to move it up or down or make conscious decisions around how to manage it. And so a great example for me would be what we call net promoter score or NPS. In the broader business world, this is the most common metric you see where com companies look for feedback in a really important way. They send one question and a comment box in a survey to their customers and they ask, on a scale of zero to 10, how likely would you be to recommend my services? And what we find in law is typically, we're not aware of those mechanisms and not asking for that input in the first place. So by asking for it and getting the, the data on a personal level or on a firm level, we can compare to benchmarks, which we published in the Legal Trends Report this year, and then make decisions like, am I happy with that? What are the things along the way that I could be doing to drive that number up or down if I decide that I want to, typically to want to drive it up, of course. So that's one example. I think the KPIs we talked about as well are another really good example. If you get in the habit of tracking that stuff, compare how you're doing versus industry benchmarks, you might be doing much better than you thought, you might be falling behind in certain places, but you can start to understand where can I spend my time or make improvements to get a result that I really need. So just a quick follow-up on that, that, there were some reasons why attorneys are discounting their rates that you guys are finding in your data sets. Yeah, so that was part of the survey and uh, something we were really interested about. You know, a lot of reasoning behind the client. So empathy for the client was the top reason that came through. Uh, we also saw the client's ability to pay be the third reason a second kind of reason and prevalent theme, though, is that attorneys were struggling to benchmark their rates against perceived value. And I think that's a really, really important point. They charge a rate that they arrived at for a variety of reasons, but then couldn't really map it to value, both in terms of how they described it, but also how their clients perceived it. And I think that's a great example of a place where being mindful and setting the right expectations with a client can actually help avoid having to discount rates after the fact.
Yeah, that's interesting. It seems like it's not surprising, though, that it, one of the most important things that a lawyer can do for their business is price themselves right. And yet, for years, I think people just kind of randomly arrived at a number uh, and played around with it. And this data can really can really give them some insight where they should be uh, yeah. relative to their practice area, their geography, experience, and so on. Yeah, and, and to be fair, it's data that hasn't really existed before. Like Clio is kind of the first vendor that's gotten big enough in terms of user base to be able to publish something like this. So now that it's available, it's all the more important that we use it for exactly that reason. So we're running out of time for this episode, but uh, George, I just wanted to give uh, you an opportunity to share some contact information, but also, yeah, I don't give a lot of endorsements, but I do highly endorse this legal trends report. I think if you're running, obviously if you're concerned about the business health of your law firm, definitely check it out. And uh, George, in addition to your contact information, where can they find it? Yeah, so the legal trends report is available for free online to anyone who wants to download it and have a read. Um, you can head to the Clio website, clio.com, C-L-I-O.com forward slash legal trends or just simply google legal trends report online and you can find it very easily uh, in addition to that you can get a hold of me anytime uh, i'm available on twitter at george psaharis that last part's a little tricky so i'll spell it out it's uh, <laughs> thank you george george g-e-o-r-g-e -E, uh, psaharis p is in peter s-i-h-a-r-i-s and i'd be happy to send people the right way or answer any questions folks have Excellent. Well, we've reached the end of the road for today's episode, but I want to thank my co-host, Joe Patrice from Above the Law, for joining me today. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. Also want to thank George Harris for joining us. Thanks for having me. And if you like what you heard, please find us and rate us in Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.